This morning I did pray that the Lord would help the singing, the devotional, the Sunday school hour, and the sermon to all mesh together and bring honor and glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. And Kervin, I don't know that song that you selected, but it goes perfectly. It almost brought tears to my eyes this morning. As I thought about the message and what I had planned to share, I do not know that song, but Lord, I would be a neighbor true today and seek to help some traveler on his way. There are so many who are lost their way and so on. God is the one who orchestrates our worship services. I want to give him the honor and the glory this morning. I'd like to begin the sermon this morning. I'd like to introduce the message by sharing you with you a true life story from this past Thursday. I was in Walmart shopping, doing some shopping. I was in the home supplies where the paint and the water and the air filters are at. And there was a young girl, approximately 18 to 20 years old, approached me. She was from Oriental descent. And uh, evidently she probably couldn't speak English real well. She had like a three by five card and she showed me this card that described a needy family situation and with pleading eyes she begged for some money for me to help. How many of you have faced situations like that? How did you respond? Generally, I do not give money. You know, and if she would have called, and I think it seemed she was dressed nice. It seemed like her her requests seemed legitimate, but we don't know those things. But anyway, if she would have asked me, you know, sir, would you give me some money for some food? I could have told her, well, let's go out to Subway out here, and I'll buy you your buy you a meal. But anyway. I pulled out my wallet and I was searching for a certain denomination in my wallet that I thought I had, but I didn't have one. The denominations were bigger than I was looking for. But I did end up giving her some money. And later that afternoon, guilt and remorse began to wash over me because I felt like I could have done better. And I know that. I understand that. At least when I gave her the money, I could have said, in the name of Jesus, I've done that before. I guess I felt this time I didn't do as well as I could have. And I asked the Lord to forgive my response. I went back to Walmart several hours later, and I had a Bible in my hand, and I was hoping to find her. I walked up and down the aisles looking for this girl. And I was hoping to find her, but I didn't find her. And I thought, at least if I find her, I can tell her something like this. I have here, I have something much better for you than what I gave you earlier. And I asked the question, has affluence affected our eyesight to the point where we do not discern the real heart cry of the people around us? What was Peter and John's response in Acts chapter 3? I'm going to read that real quickly. Acts chapter 3, you know this account. 
Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fasting his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I couldn't say that yesterday. Peter and John said, I don't have any money to give you, but what I have, I will give you. I did have some money alone, and I gave to a physical need. But there's a lot of people in our world today whose heart cry, they might say they need money for something, but they probably have a heart cry from something much deeper. May God give us the sensitivity, the understanding to be able to discern what the real needs are. And I guess part of the message this morning is born out of that experience from Thursday. The title of the message is, Have You Seen Lazarus? I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Jesus was preaching, he was teaching in the towns, and it says that when he saw the multitudes, he looked on them with compassion. And when I ask you, have you seen Lazarus? I would like us to think more than see. Seeing is visual, but Jesus, he saw the multitudes, he, but he recognized the needs that they had, and obviously Jesus ministered to those needs. We need discernment from the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the needs around us. I would invite you to Luke chapter 16. You know this story well. I'm not doing a promotion for Rocky Cedars this morning, but I was there the other day. And I found the book, Where's Lazarus? And it helps to understand a little bit uh, this story. And I was impressed. I'm not done with the book yet, but I was challenged enough to uh, hopefully to be a challenge to you. Now, I didn't come this morning to give a book report. But maybe I did. This is the book report that I would like us to look at this morning. And we're looking at Luke chapter 16. The text verse verses would be verses 20 and 21. You know the account. The text verses are these. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gates full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Have you seen Lazarus? You know, Jesus often told earthly stories with a heavenly meaning, and we call those parables. But this story, this is not the case. I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that this is, and this was, and still is a real life story. 
And Jesus contrasts these two men in this story. One was unbelievably wealthy, and the other lived in abject poverty. The rich man selfishly lived in luxury every day, and he needed nothing from anyone. Lazarus' very life was dependent upon the mercy of others every single day. Both of these men lived in the same neighborhood. One was a son of Abraham, and the other was a destitute beggar. Why do I share this story with you? I think this is an astounding story. Why? Because the three characters in this story are very much alive today. Although one is dying an eternal death. Is it too much to say that the rich man's affluence blinded his eyes to the needs of others? Is it also true that the greatest tragedy of this story we see here in Luke chapter 16, the greatest tragedy, is the fact that the wealth and the prosperity of the rich man blinded his eyes to his own need until it was too late? That's a sad story. This story is also a disturbing story. Why? At least it was to me. Because if we look close enough, I think you and I can see our reflection in the person of the rich man. And just because you and I cannot see abject poverty in the close proximity of where we are living or where we're at, does not mean that it does not exist. There are millions of Lazaruses right outside our front gate. And I ask in sincerity, have you seen Lazarus? I'd like to read the entire account. Starting in verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died, and he was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, plural, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may give me a cup of water and cool my tongue. I read that wrong, didn't I? Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of, the, of his finger in the water just like this. And cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. 
For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, no, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And Jesus said something very astounding. He said to him, him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded that one rose from the dead. I submit to you that there are millions of Lazaruses outside our front gate. And I ask, have you seen Lazarus? The first point of the message is Jesus destroyed several myths in this story. Number one, wealth is a sign of God's favor. Notice in this account, the rich man is not named The poor man, the beggar, is named. His name was Lazarus. Secondly, another myth that Jesus destroyed is death ends all and brings complete finality. We know in verses 22 and 23 that that's not the case. Because, and it came to pass as the rich man died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. It was not the end. Verse 23, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Death does not bring complete finality. Thirdly, a godly lineage secures heaven. Just because we are the son or a daughter of some godly man or woman does not mean that when we get to death and beyond that our place is secured because of our godly lineage. He calls him Father Abraham. This was a Jewish man. But just because he was a son of Abraham did not secure his home in heaven. Number four, hell brings annihilation. Verse 24 And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. So after he died, was ushered into hell, he was not annihilated. And sad to say, 2,000 years later, that man I think is still wishing somebody would bring him one drop of water. That makes this story very serious, brothers and sisters. This man was deceived. He was a rich man. You and I are rich men and women as well. I don't want to put us on a guilt trip. But I want us to think of the tremendous blessings that God has blessed you and me with and what are we doing with it. Are we so involved in the things that we're doing We kind of turn a blind eye to the needs around us. And I know we can't help everyone. I'm not saying you should. But have you seen Lazarus? Second point of the message is some observations from this account. Notice there was a reversal of life's experience in verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he's comforted, and thou art tormented. 
there was a reversal from life's experience. The judgment was final. Secondly, another observation is death closes the door of opportunity and destiny is sealed. Verse 26, and beside all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fix so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Death closes the door of opportunity and destiny is sealed. Number three, prayer and hail is too late. Verses 27 to 28. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Prayer in hell is too late. Fourth, it seems that to cry from hell, this cry of torment, he didn't say these words, but basically, don't come here. I've got five brethren. I don't want them to come here. This is a terrible place, a place of torment. And fifth, and this is astounding as well, it seems that Jesus would tell us that God's word is more powerful than even the voice of someone from the dead. Jesus said, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. That's astounding. I haven't really thought this through, but suppose there was somebody in this area that lived a very ungodly life. And he would come back and he would speak to somebody and warn them, I've been to hell. I know what it's like. Don't go to this place. And Jesus said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Brothers and sisters, we have the law and the prophets today. Are we listening? I'd like to pull four lessons from this account. Number one, the rich man, now these are not necessarily shared from the text this way, but I would submit to you that the rich man was not judged for his wealth, but he was judged for his lack of compassion. Another account that's very similar to this, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 to 21. And he spake a parable to them. Jesus speaking, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do that I may have room where to bestow all my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. The rich man was not judged for his wealth, 
but for his lack of compassion. Secondly, seek God's assessment for your own spiritual condition. Not looking within yourself and think, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not going to turn to it. But you know the account of the church at Laodicea. They said three things, if I remember right. They said, I am rich. I'm increased with goods. And what else? I have need of nothing. I'm rich. And I'm increased with goods. And I don't have a need of a thing. That was their own perception of their spiritual condition. But what did God say? He said five things. You're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. Let's don't look within for our spiritual condition. God knows. And it could be much different than what we perceive. And that's what's so sad about this story. This man was a son of Abraham. And I don't know, he, maybe he did a bunch of good things. But those are dead works. And we don't rely on those. Let's seek God for a spiritual condition within our own hearts. Not from within ourselves. Thirdly, take advantage of the opportunities while there's life. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. The Bible tells us, as we have therefore opportunity, okay, I had an opportunity on Thursday. I don't feel like I did very well. I think I've done better some other times, but I didn't feel like I did very well Thursday. But God's word said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Take advantage of the opportunities while there's life. Fourthly, God's blessings demand responsibility and accountability. And I think you don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you, how many of us have been blessed far beyond What we deserve, and everyone's hand goes up. But along with what God has blessed us with, there comes responsibility, and there also comes accountability. First John chapter three, verses sixteen to eighteen reads this way: First John three. 16 to 18, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Once again, if I would ask us in verse 17, how many of us would raise our hands? But whoso hath this world's good, how many of you have received tremendous blessing, physical and spiritual, from God? And what are you doing with it? What am I doing with it? 
Let's don't shut up our bowels of compassion like the rich man did and suffer eternally for it. In conclusion, have you seen Lazarus? I submit to you that a very similar story that we looked at in Luke chapter 16 is being written today in 2023. Brothers and sisters, is it not true that you and I are the rich man in the story? God has blessed us, blessed you and me, with tremendous physical and spiritual blessings. And I submit to you that there are many Lazaruses lying just outside our gate with tremendous needs. How do I know that? Probably most of us get the periodicals, the little papers from Christian Aid Ministries and Voice of the Martyrs. And that seems way out there. There's lots of needs the world over. And I submit to you as well that I believe that God desires that you and I would be a conduit of his grace. We don't have it within ourselves to bless others, but I believe God has tremendous blessings that he desires to pour down through you, and he desires that you and I would be a conduit of his grace through which the needy could receive the blessings from God. Micah 6.8 Why is it when I get under pressure, I can't find what I'm looking for? Micah 6, 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Have you seen Lazarus? Shall we have a song? May God bless you.